0: Can we give it up for the kids again? That was great. Uh, That was awesome. Um, Yeah, and uh, Amanda, thanks for um, listening to the Spirit and um, taking us to pray for the Schumachers. Um, That's what we're talking about. We're talking about prayer. And what better way to uh, throw curveballs than to do what God is leading us us into in his word. Um, We are going to be... doing a four-week series on prayer, but actually over the course of the whole summer, we're going to do some mini deep dives on a handful of what people might call spiritual practices or disciplines or rhythms of life, language varies, but um, we are going to be spending four weeks on prayer, four weeks on how we study scripture, four weeks on simplicity and Sabbath, and four weeks on generosity. And our purpose here is to get into what Todd talked about last week, if you were able to join us or or uh, catch up online, where Todd talked about how the invitation of life with Jesus is this invitation to put on a new self, to put off an old self that's uh, that that is broken and uh, off trajectory of. Uh, the design that God has for each of our lives and to put on this new self that's being renewed into our true self that looks like Jesus. And that's the invitation of life with Jesus. It's not just a ticket to heaven and a list of rules to obey until we die. It is an invitation to become who we were always meant to be, the type of woman or man that we were always meant to be as God reveals to us in his word. And these practices, these habits of life, these rhythms that we're going to be taking a look at over the the next few months are a couple of the different tools that we have in our tool belt that God has revealed to us in scripture for us to become that kind of woman or that kind of man. And so uh, we're going to begin with prayer. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So if you've got a Bible, a device you want to look it up on, you can read along with me. I'll read aloud. Uh, I'll pray again, and we'll ask the Spirit of God to speak to us. One of the things that we're going to do over the course of these uh, several mini-series is uh, we're committed as a teaching team to tighten up our teaching just a bit. (laughs) I say that all the time, but we're going to do it, okay? It's in the notes. Um, No, we're going to actually, we're going to tighten up our teaching just a bit and then create space in each of our gatherings here to actually practice what we're lo- what we're learning about so at the end of our, our time looking at God's word here we're going to have a time of reflective prayer that i'm going to guide us through for some of us that's going to feel really natural and something that we're used to others of us it's going to be super unnatural and uncomfortable and we're, our minds are going to wander and we're going to be like why is it quiet for so long and that's okay we're just we're, we're experimenting and trying and um, we're putting into practice the types of things that we're seeing in scripture and so that's where we're going um, as we uh, as we as we go on here into looking at God's word but Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 through 9, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, famous teaching of Jesus in the book of Matthew, uh, where he has uh, shifted in the Sermon on the Mount here to talk about a couple of different of these spiritual practices, these things we do as acts of worship and acts of uh, of, of habits to form us into uh, the type of person that God's made us to be. And he's reframing for us how we think about those practices. So he tackles fasting, he talk, tackles generosity, and, uh, and then here now he tackles prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. So let's take a look and let's pray and see what God would have to say. So here are the words of Jesus, starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they'll be heard for their many words, but don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven. These are the words of Jesus recorded by the gospel writer, Matthew, who wrote in his own style and language and context, but it's inspired by the spirit of God. And every time we open up God's word, he has something to say to us. So let's pray right now and ask that the spirit would speak to us through his word. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we invite you to speak right now. And we thank you that your word's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, And by your spirit, you make it come alive to us. So we pray that you would speak right now. Um, Wherever we're coming from into this room, whether the stuff we're looking at is really familiar and we've been walking with you for a while, or we're not even sure if we believe this, uh, we're struggling to believe it. We're just checking things out. Um, whatever the, the case is for each one of us in this room, I pray that you would have a, a specific and fresh word for every single one of us. pray that we would hear from you, and we thank you that we, we can be confident that we have heard from you because we know that your word is inspired by your spirit. And so um, we pray, God, right now that you give us not just information in our heads but transformation in our hearts. And uh, let's just take a moment right now, each in our own um own way, whatever words feel comfortable to you. Let's just take a moment and ask God to speak to us. Something like, Lord, would you would you speak to me right now? Let's just take a moment to each ask that in the quiet of our own hearts. We do ask that you speak, God. Thank you that we can bring our full selves to you, uh, the whole good, bad, and ugly, um, because your grace makes it safe to come before you. Um, thank you that you loved us um, before any of us loved you. I just pray, come Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what, what if I told you that wherever you are in your relationship to God, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you have a vibrant relationship with God, or you would, don't even know what that phrase means, wherever you are in relationship to God, what if I told you that every single one of us in this room spends virtually all of our waking life praying? You probably think you need to get a little out more, Pastor. I don't know what you do with your life and spend all day in the closet talking to God, but the rest of us have jobs and things that we have to do throughout the day. But hear me out on this. What if prayer is fundamentally more than just about our specific times of prayer and actually about all the ways that we relate to and communicate with God? And what if each one of us is relating to God all day long? It's like what we're doing. It's a property of what it means to be a person. Um, like 30 years ago, there's a, a movie called Metropolitan. It was directed by a, a filmmaker named uh, Wilt Stillman, and he, uh, it's, it's a it's a movie set in the early '90s. It's uh, about kind of young professionals in New York. It's a, like kind of indie, very talky film. And there's one scene where two characters are uh, debating the existence of God. There's a character named Charlie and a character named Cynthia. And here's how their dialogue goes. Charlie says. "'Of course there's a God. "'We all basically know there is.'" Cynthia says, "'I know no such thing.'" Charlie replies, "'Of course you do. "'When you think to yourself, "'and most of our waking life is taking up thinking to ourselves, "'you must have that feeling that your thoughts aren't entirely wasted, "'that in some sense they're being heard. "'I think it's the sensation of silently being listened to "'with total comprehension that represents an innate belief "'in a supreme being, an all-encompassing intelligence.'" what it shows is that some kind of belief is innate in all of us. At some point, most of us lose that, after which it can only be regained by a conscious act of faith. And Cynthia replies, and you've experienced that? And Charlie says, no, I haven't, but I hope to someday. And we don't have time to go to philosophy class and dive into the mystery of consciousness and how we understand a lot about how the brain works and how different parts of the brain are associated with different conscious experiences, but we actually don't know very much about consciousness itself. And it's actually a profound mystery and about how that profound mystery of consciousness is actually a pretty compelling evidence for the existence of God. We don't have time to get into any of that. But what I would say, just teasing out Charlie's line of thinking, is that we live our lives intuitively and innately without even thinking about it as if God is really listening. We live as if our thoughts matter, as if our lives matter, as if the things that we do with our lives matter. We live, it is innate and instinctual to us to live as if God is listening. Is that a sign from God? I don't know. Um, (laughs) God? Um, We live as if God is listening. And this is an interesting observation given the way that Jesus starts his teaching on prayer here in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus begins his teaching on prayer and he doesn't begin it with a definition of prayer. He doesn't give us, begin at least with a guide for how to pray or instructions for how often to pray or how to build those rhythms into a praying life. Instead, Jesus' intro to his teaching on prayer is all about how we relate to God. He's teaching us on how to relate to God. And this is why a spiritual writer named Ruth Haley Barton defines prayer like this. She says, prayer is all the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. Uh, another, another writer, Jen, uh, Jennifer Kennedy Dean, put it like this. She said, prayer will work as God intends for it to work when it becomes what God intends for it to be. Prayer is not an activity, but a relationship. Prayer is not a formula, but a life. We're looking at the teaching of Jesus on prayer, looking about how he frames prayer in the first place, how he begins his teaching on prayer, and we see that he is concerned with teaching us about how we relate to God, not just the the specific times of prayer that we set aside, and we're going to learn about that, and those are valuable and good as rhythms to build in to form how we relate to God and to actually prioritize connecting with God, but he's concerned with all the ways Conscious and unconscious, habitual and non-habitual, built into a specific rhythm and just the thoughts that come to our mind throughout our day, all the ways that we relate to God. Because what we see is the invitation to a praying life is first an invitation to do intentionally what we're each doing intuitively and instinctually already, relating to God. And it's an invitation to relate to him in the way he asks us, to relate to him. It's an invitation to connect with him the way he wants to be connected with. And as we build those rhythms and we set aside those intentional times of prayer that are built into our lives, it's like setting aside intentional time to connect with a friend, that you have that intentional time to build relationship but extends far beyond just the coffee date with a friend. It extends far beyond just the intentional time of prayer with God. And so we have to ask ourselves, how is Jesus inviting us to relate to God? What? How does God want to be related to? And in Matthew chapter uh, five, uh, five uh, six, verses five through nine, here Jesus is showing us how God invites us to relate to Him by essentially begging two questions. And this is how we'll spend the rest of our time here. He invites us to beg the question: What reward are we really seeking? In our praying life, in our relating to God, what reward are we really seeking? And why do we think we'll be heard in the first place? Why do we really think God's paying attention? Why do we really think God's listening? On what basis does he relate to us? So we'll spend time unpacking those two questions. What reward are we really seeking Uh, is the first one that Jesus teases out here. And in verses five and six, uh, Jesus begins, he says, when you pray, I think it's interesting that he just assumes a praying life. He assumes prayer is happening. When you pray, So Jesus is beginning this teaching on prayer with a critique and a contrast of the religious hypocrites. He'll critique and contrast another way of relating to God in just a moment. But the first one he critiques and contrasts his way to is the way of the religious hypocrites of his day. On a side note, anytime you feel jaded by religious hypocrisy, I, I live, I'm a pastor, right? So my world is religious stuff. I frequently think the thought, freaking religious people. I'm so tired of stupid, re-. anyway. So anytime you feel jaded, anytime you feel jaded with hypocrisy, know that Jesus beat you to the punch. Like 2000 years ago, Jesus is Jesus is more jaded with religious hypocritical religious folks than you are. Anyway, Jesus begins with his critique of uh, of the religious hypocrites of his day and the the posture towards God, the way of relating to God that he's critiquing is this attitude in prayer where prayer is not primarily about connecting with God. It's primarily, there's something else that they're really trying to get out of it instead of connecting with God. It's really, in this case, about their reputation, about being seen in public as being the holy folks. So just imagine, these, this, this is it's very obvious that the prayer is not, it, that, you know, God is being addressed but the actual audience is not God, right? It's standing it up and in your great Shakespearean voice, like, oh, God, you know? And everyone else is like, oh, woof, you know? Like just, here we go. And uh, it's this posture that relates to God for something other than God. God is not the primary end being sought. God is a means to an end, or maybe not even that. It's just a religious, it's, it's a, a religious veneer on the pursuit of some other thing. You know, from our cultural vantage point, especially in a place like the South Bay, it's pretty easy to critique the religious hypocrites because to our sensibilities especially, they pretty publicly and obviously suck. And so this following Jesus's line of thinking on critiquing the religious hypocrites is not that hard. But Jesus's critique of them is not primarily about them being obnoxious. It's about what reward they're really seeking. So put another way, it's about where they're looking for life what they think is going to meet the deepest needs of their souls. And I think as we look at the way their life is off track, it's challenging in some really familiar, uncomfortably familiar ways. Because they seem devout, these folks that Jesus is critiquing, but their real God, their real object of worship isn't God, in this case, its reputation, and in getting that reward in getting the reward of people noticing them for their religious devotion Jesus is not saying that they that they're getting something that they actually need he's strongly implying that they're getting less than their souls need so he says they've received their reward but it's not hard to read between the, sub, between the lines and see the subtext that that's not a good thing. Jesus isn't saying like, oh, good for them. They got what they were seeking. They got what they were after. He's sharply critiquing that they shouldn't have been after that in the first place. It shouldn't have been what, where they were looking for life in the first place. And so the question that Jesus begs as he teaches us about prayer by teaching us how to relate to God is this. What reward are we really seeking? What do we really treasure above all else? in our way of relating to God, in life itself, what do we think is going to meet the deepest needs of our souls? The religious hypocrites, based on their actions, it's it's clear that what they think is going to meet the itch of their souls is being seen as good by other people. If people just see me as good, then I'll have it made in the shade. Then everything will be okay. That might not be it for us. It could be any number of things that we could think of that we might look to to do something for our souls that only God can do. For some, it's maybe, uh, it's not the reputation sort of thing that the religious hypocrites are going after. Maybe it's an exciting lifestyle. If I just have the freedom to do exciting things in my life, if I just have the freedom to live the way I want to live, then everything will be all right. Of course, that's not a bad thing. We We all hope for such things. But is that what our souls were really made for? A good thing, but is it really what our souls are made for? Maybe it's the Christmas card picture perfect ideal of a family where everyone is doing all, and the family is doing all the things that we hope for them. Our kids are thriving in all the ways we hope for them to thrive, and we've got the white linen shirts and the Christmas card picture over on Rat Beach, and it looks wonderful and amazing, and everything in our family is exactly the way we want it to be. If our family was just the way we want it to be, then everything would be okay in my soul, then all would be right with my soul. Wonderful thing to hope for, to have your family be thriving in the way that you hope for. Is it really what your soul most needs? Or maybe it's career success. When we just close this deal, when I just start this venture, when we just increase our market share by this percent, when I just get this promotion, when I just get to the place that I think I deserve to be at, then everything will be okay. Maybe maybe it is your reputation, but not in a religious sense. Maybe you want to be known, whatever it is. There's all kinds of good things, mostly good things, But when our reward or our treasure, when our true object of worship is anything other than God, it won't give us what we most need. It won't do for us what only God can do. We were made to orient our lives around God. We were made to treasure God. We were made to find our truest sense of self in him. And when we look to other things, as we all do when left to our own devices, it's part of the great narrative of scripture that this is the trajectory of humanity when left on our own uh, it's it's a pretty good summary of what the Bible calls sin. When we look to the things to do what only God can do, it lets us down. It either leaves us feeling empty or puts us on a trajectory of being formed into less than we were meant to be as we seek that thing. This is like a, a, a concept that I'm like obsessed with. So I have a, I have a running note in my phone of all these examples that I just like see over the years, conversations, things that that, uh, that come up in stories or films or whatever of all of examples of how what the Bible calls idolatry, looking for life apart from God, uh, how it ultimately lets us down or sets us on a, a broken trajectory. One of my favorite examples is from about 20 years ago. It was after um, Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl, and he gave this really interesting interview. Uh, this is this is how the interview went. So Tom Brady says to the interviewer. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, this is what it is. I've reached my goal. But me? I think, God, there's got to be more to life than this. The interviewer asked, what's the answer? And Tom Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. So here's a person setting up this goal. This is what I'm after in life. This is the thing. If I, Super Bowls, if, I, if I'm the best First Super Bowl ring. Okay, maybe it wasn't the first. Maybe I got to have like a dynasty. So it's the second one. Okay, maybe it's not the second one. It's the third. Get the third. And it's like, gosh, is this really all there is? If we build our lives around anything other than what we were made to build it on, namely God himself, the God of the universe who loves us, it's going to leave us empty or it's going to set us on a trajectory to be formed to be less than who we were meant to be. And so we have to ask ourselves, Where are we looking for life? Am I really living for communion with my Father? Because Jesus invites us not to pray like the hypocrites, not to relate to God like the hypocrites, whose reward is something other than God. Jesus invites us to treasure our Father who offers himself to us and who we come to experience more and more as we seek him in the practice of prayer. The first question that Jesus is begging to be asked is what reward am I really seeking? really seeking God? Do I see God for who he really is? My father, who is not just someone to be appeased or someone who's good to relate to because that's what good people do, but he's a treasure in and of himself. The value is the relationship. That's the first question second question that's begging to be asked is, why do you really think you'll be heard? Because here's where Jesus goes with his second critique and contrast. In verses seven and eight, he says, so first just contrast against the religious hypocrites. Then Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before he asks. So now he's contrasting not just what you're seeking, but why you think you'll be heard in the first place, why you think God is listening in the first place. And he says, he's critiquing this, uh, this pagan approach to God. And I don't use the word pagan in some sort of derogatory way. It's just a description of a particular way of relating to the divine. It's a, a different system of thought in the way of Jesus. And he's saying this way, it envisions there's something about what you're doing. That's the reason that God will listen. In this case, it's the many words. It's like, if I just pray the right way, if I say it the right way, if I I say it enough, or if I'm doing the right thing in my life, if I've done the right ritual, I've been obedient enough, then God will listen. It's essentially a transactional way of relating to God. God, if I give you what you want, and we often think he wants silly things, more on that in a second. But if I give you what you want, you'll give me what I want the relationship is a transaction. It's a business relationship. It's what can, what can I do? What can you do? Let's get the deal done. I give you the thing. You give me the thing. There's something about what I do or how I say it, or if I've said it often enough, that's the reason God will listen to me. The Gentiles think they'll be heard for their many words. Uh, and, Jesus' command here, interestingly, his his command to not like pray like this, I think implies that it's entirely possible to be a Christian, be following Jesus, be someone who sees who who would check the box on the theology quiz that you view God as Father, and yet continue to relate to God as if you're a pagan, continue to relate to God on the basis of a transaction. And here's an example of this: in um, Talladega Nights, um, premise of Talladega Nights, Will Ferrell's character uh, is named Ricky Bobby. He's a NASCAR driver. And he goes from, like, zero to hero overnight. It's this whole thing. Anyway, he... he, There's the famous scene where they're praying uh, over, like, a spread of, like, corporately sponsored junk food. And it's the, like... I like to pray to the sweet, I like the Christmas Jesus best scene, if you're familiar with the movie, right? And so they're praying, and they're debating on how to pray to Jesus. Is it the Christmas Jesus? And then one person wants the Leonard Skinner Jesus, who's like singing lead, and he's got a choir of angels in the background. And they're debating, anyway. And then finally, the wife is fed up with it, and she says, Say this grace good, so God will let us win the race tomorrow. I have a terrible Southern accent. I'm sorry. If you're from the South, I really, really apologize. Um, But what's the premise? Say this grace good so God will let us win the race. Say it right, do this well, so God will let us win. Okay, here's another example. I won't, uh, there was a wide receiver, uh, he's probably out of the league now, but not too long ago, played, played in the NFL. Um, and I won't say his name because I'm about to put it on blast. But um, he, uh, he, there was a game, uh, it came down to the very end, uh, they could have won the game, he was open in the end zone, pretty good pass, and he dropped the pass, they lost the game. Could have won, he could have been a hero, but he dropped the pass. And after the game, here's an example of a transactional way of relating to God. He tweeted this out and it's in all caps and there's lots of exclamation points exclamation points, just for some context. He says, I praise you 24 seven. He's talking to God. And this how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this, ever. Thanks though. It's just like, you know, grade A Himalayan salt all over this, right? But the the, the premise is I praise you I praise you 24-7. The least you could do is let me t- catch the touchdown pass. The least you could do is give me some success. I give what you what you want, now you give me what I want. And here's the thing, we, in, when we think this way, we we default towards thinking God wants the silliest things, right? It's not what God actually says he wants, usually, although you could have this transactional relationship with what he really says too. But so frequently, it's like, I said in Jesus' name, amen, as if like that's what God wants, right? God's brought, like, well, you know, I, I would bless you, but I really just want these words said in the right order. Like that's, that's what really is my thing. Or it's like, I did the ritual, and God's like, oh, oh I love it when you do that little ritual. That's so, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, yes, thank you for doing that for me. So here's the thing. Or it's like, I did a good thing once, and God's like, oh my gosh, one good thing. Let me, you know. We think God wants the silliest things, and we think if we do it, then God will bless us. All of which is a, are symptoms of a transactional way of viewing, viewing the basis of our relationship with him. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And this leads either to kind of a sense of deluded entitlement, like our nameless, uh, he who shall not be named NFL receiver who dropped the pass and had all the salt towards God. Or it can, or it's, it, it can lead to a kind of self-condemning shame where we beat ourselves up. Of course God didn't answer this prayers. Look what I've done. I haven't done enough. Of course, God won't answer my prayers. Of course, God didn't come through for me. Why would He even listen to me in the first place? And when we relate to God in that kind of transaction, it's gonna err it's towards one or the other, deluded entitlement or self-condemning shame. But instead, Jesus says, Your father knows. He says, Your father knows. Don't pray like the pagans who think that they have to convince God to listen to them by doing something. Your father knows. A transactional relationship is based on performance. What can you do for me? What can I do for you? But the type of familial relationship that Jesus is talking about, at least the type of familial relationship that God models for us. Maybe not what we've seen in the world around us, maybe from not what we've experienced personally, maybe not the kind that comes out of us in our own family relationships. But what God models for us as our Father is not based on performance. It's based on unconditional acceptance. Your Father already knows. Your Father already loves you. Your Father already sees. So Jesus is inviting us to relate to God in a whole new way to seeing him as the treasure and seeing him as our father who already unconditionally accepts us, who doesn't hear because we performed or danced or done the thing, but because he loves us as our father. So how do we actually view God this way? I mean, for, there's, there's not a person in this room for whom relating to, the, to God this way is natural. On the one hand, we're all sinners who sin. And we're tainted, our view of God is tainted by that reality. On the other hand, we live in a world where we've been sinned against. And we've internalized messages of God based on that reality too. There's some really interesting uh, research that uh, seems to indicate pretty strongly that our default concept of God, the way this is kind of like innate and intuitive in in us, is really largely shaped by like a, a composite of our caregivers when we're young. That we build this kind of idea of what God must be like based on what we've experienced as authority in our lives. And so, how do we shift from that to how God is inviting us to see Him, to how God really is? And this is the beauty of prayer. Because in the beauty of prayer, we're in the lab, learning to relate to God in a new way, learning to ingrain and build new habits of how we think about God as we come to God and say, You're my Father. This is who you are. This is who I believe you to be because it's who you say you are. It's the beauty of prayer that we learn to relate to God in a whole new way. And we see that way of relating to God no more powerfully than when we see God revealing himself to us as father by sending Jesus. When we look at the cross, because when we look at a cross, look at the cross, we see a God who withholds nothing. We see a God who gives of his best because he loves us where we see the, the son of God, the creator of the universe, entering into human history, doing what we haven't done on, in, as our representative, living with perfect relationship with the father and taking on my sin and your sin into himself, bearing the full penalty and weight of it, letting it crush him that we might be reconciled to God. When we see a God who gives that kind of cost, who gives to us that, who, let, who loves us so much he's willing to bleed, He's willing to let it hurt. When we see that kind of God, we see a father who loves us. And so as we pray, we pray as those who see the cross and see the love of God in it. We learn to relate to God in a whole new way. So right now we're gonna pray as we close. We're gonna um, have some space. I'm gonna invite the band to come up, um, set the mood for us a little bit. Not to be cliche. (laughs) It's just tickle the ivories behind our prayer time here. Um, but to kind of fill the space, to kind of move any uncomfortable silence, we're going to have them play behind us. And um, I'm going to lead us in some time praying praying before God. There's going to be some quiet so that you're prepared for it. But if your mind wanders, that's okay. Right now we're going to create space to relate to God intentionally. And we're going to relate to God intentionally in response to what we just saw in Scripture. We're gonna let God bring anything to mind that that um, might be specific for us in His Word. So right now, let's just let's let's uh, talk to God. I'll, I'll I'll speak for us, and then um, we'll I'll guide us into some time of of connecting with Him. So let's just um, I'll just begin by relaxing, and um, if you need to take a deep breath, take a deep breath. Um, pay attention to your body. If there's any part of you that's tense and you just need to relax, you need to unclench your jaw or unshrug your shoulders or let your hands be relaxed, whatever it is, um, just relax. Take a moment to just quiet your soul. And Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us right now. We thank you that we talk to you, that, um, by your Spirit, you're you're still speaking to us. You, you bring things alive from your words. So we pray that you would uh, would you speak right now. We pray, come, Holy Spirit. Let's just take a, a moment here, and uh, let's just ask God, quiet of your own heart, whatever phrasing makes sense to you. Just ask, say, Lord. Um, what do you want me to see specifically out of what, what we just read in scripture just whatever makes sense what, God, what, what did I need to see what did I need to hear let's just listen and maybe God reveals something maybe it's just a moment of quiet reflection but let's just ask what did I need to hear what's for me That train of thought, thinking about God revealing to us as our Father, who's who's Himself the prize. Um, let's ask God to reveal if there's any any false reward, any counterfeit reward that we're living for right now in this season. And this isn't to beat ourselves up or to shame us or make us feel like we are scolded. It's, it's for our freedom. Um, and this also isn't to criticize ourselves for wanting things. It's good to want things. This is evaluating. Is there anything? It's not just that I want it. It's that I think it's going to give my soul something that only God can give me. So let's just let's take some inventory, listen to God. Is there anything that God wants to reveal? that category. God, is there any faults for Take a moment, kind of in our response to God, just in the quiet of our hearts, to thank God for being the one who meets the deepest needs of our souls. And say thank you for being my true treasure, my true reward, or whatever language is right for you. Um, some of us, this, this is we see it, and it's this is going to be an overflow of what we're actually experiencing from God. From others of us, it's uh, this is a, a praise of faith that we don't see yet or aren't experiencing right now or struggling to see and that's okay. So maybe if you're like, I don't know if I actually believe or actually have experienced God to be my real treasure, um, take this time to ask God to show you that, to ask God to meet you in that way. But let's just pray and, and praise God that He's uh, he is our true. Supper elements. We'll do that in just a moment. Thanks, guys. Now let's take a moment and um, reflect on this other part of Jesus's teaching about not having a transactional relationship with Him, but knowing that your Father knows and accepts because of what He's done for us in Jesus, and um, gives us grace. Just take a moment and just ask God, is there any way that I've been living with a transactional relationship with you? Just ask that question. Some space to listen. in our own words talk to God and thank him that he relates to us on the basis of his grace thank him that because of Jesus every sin is paid in full and that he accepts us unconditionally and whether or not we've been good enough or bad enough or too bad um, that's not a criteria he uses for whether or not he's listening Just thank God for his grace, his unconditional acceptance. close here everyone's kind of this quiet place of reflection and no one's looking Um, if you feel that the Lord is inviting you to relate to him in a new way there's something that you're like God God wants to show me a different way Um, I'd love to pray for you and so no one's looking and everyone hold to that Um, you just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. And um, yes, okay. Now it's, and if, if it's you and you don't feel comfortable raising your hand, I'm, I'm still praying for you. Um, let's just pray for these folks. God, um, thank you for the courage that it takes to recognize that reality. Um, and thank you that you really do love every single one of us. And I pray for anyone that senses a call to relate to you in a new way to release control, to trust, um, to see you as not withholding. Maybe there's a a lingering unanswered prayer and it's a call to an invitation to trust, to see that you've got good purposes, that your heart is good. Maybe it's um, really believing deep, deep in their hearts and minds that you give grace don't use performance as a basis for listening. Maybe it's a, a call to really treasure God, whatever it is. Um, I pray, God, that you would, Spirit of God, meet meet these, these folks in a new way. Would you minister and bless them? I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak and comfort them? And um, I pray for freedom in a new way of relating to you. I pray that for all of us as we continue to learn and learn to relate to you the way that to celebrate communion here to close because it's, it's in the Lord's Supper where we have this tangible picture of the cross of Jesus, of the, the self-giving fathering of God for us, that Jesus' blood was poured out, his body was broken for us. And we see that, we see a God that withholds nothing. We see a God that doesn't use our performance or lack thereof as criteria for whether or not he's for us. We see a God who has covered all of our sin, past, present, and future. So this is for any of us who want a genuine encounter with Jesus. We're going to remember remember the blood and body of Jesus given for us. So right now we, we, uh, we take the bread and we do so in remembrance of Jesus. let take now in remembrance of Jesus. Um, took the cup and he said this is my blood poured out for you it's the blood of a new covenant a new way of relating to God and so um, we take and we remember every sin past, present, and future paid for in full on Jesus' cross it's taken remembrance of him God thank you that that's true that our sin really is paid for in full and uh, we're so grateful for it holy spirit would you continue to draw us into your presence would you in this series teach us more about how to relate to you in intentional ways um, intentional ways that lead us to seeing you as our true treasure and seeing the grace that you give to us as our father and in jesus name we pray amen
1: will you stand with me as we finish in worship
2: Through it all, through it all, it is well through it all, through it all my eyes are on you and it is well
1: with me. Thank you, God, that you let that truth wash over our souls. Us and guide us, show the places where we have replaced you with other things, with lesser loves, God, because it is truly well with our souls because of who you are and what you've done for us. So Jesus, even as I pray that, pray that you would impress that on my heart and that I would truly stand on the truth, that it is well with my soul through every season, every high and every low. You don't change. Your love doesn't change your plans for us, your intention towards us is good and it doesn't change. So help us believe that and walk that out. Communion with you, Holy Spirit. We love you, we thank you, you meet with us every time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, I'll bless you guys, see you next week.